Aha, greetings, warriors, and welcome back to a, an impromptu and unexpected, perhaps, episode of the Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast. This episode is going to serve as an epilogue to the series that you'll have been listening to earlier in the year, which, uh, which was sort of looking at Klingon-themed episodes. Uh, yes, if you look at my avatar on screen, if you can see it on YouTube, I did try, in honor of this episode, to make a Klingon-trill hybrid. Unfortunately, it has come out with me just looking more like Noel Edmonds, but, you know, just you'll just have to make of that what you will. Deal or no deal. <laughs> no deal. Anyway, so... <laughs> And any any multicolored swap shop references or house party references, just oh, email no, them to me or put them in the comments. <laughs> Let, let's get Mr. Blobby on this. <laughs> so yeah, we are going to be looking at a Klingon episode. Uh, quite fittingly, to uh, to finish off the series, we thought it would be nice to look at the episode that reunited the three main Klingons from the original series. Uh, I think we looked at, if not all of those episodes this series, we've certainly covered all three of them. Um, so yeah, it would be a chance to look at it. So obviously, as you can see, we're talking about the Deep Space Nine episode Blood Oath, which was the return of Kang, Koloth, and Kor from Star Trek, the original series. And before I go any further, uh, let me just introduce my usual co-host, DK. Hello, I haven't done an avatar, and like Kor in my avatar, I've woken up hungover. <laughs> I will not go into a battle with a man whose honour is soaked in ale, DK. <laughs> oh wait, I haven't got a choice. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna say you've been doing fine for the last couple of years, man. <laughs> How did I get into this chat? I am Michael. <laughs> Doesn't answer my question. Yes, it does. Anyway, <laughs> as you can tell, I watched the episode and I'm ready with the notes and everything. So yeah, it's an interesting one. Like I said, uh, you wouldn't expect that you know three one-off guest characters would return. What was it? 30 years later or something close to that um, after their initial appearances on a different part of the franchise. But again, it's lots to look at. So we're looking forward to doing that later. Um, before that, though, I did have some brief things I wanted to talk about with you, DK. Just a little start section. We're not going to do a hit or miss because we figured, you know, it's an epilogue type episode anyway. And we might just give it a yeah, give it a miss and see if that is more popular. See if we can get the episode lengths down and see how people respond to it if they, they do or don't like them. But for in the meantime, I do want to still start off with our usual uh, section, which I like to call Hailing Frequencies Open. Hailing Frequencies Open, sir. So, DK. I haven't run this by you yet, so this is going to be a surprise to you. But I, my thought was basically, this is the end of the year, um, and it's the end of the sort of the Star Trek that's airing this year. We know there's not going to be any more, uh, except the re-release of Prodigy Season 1 on Netflix around Christmas, which is nice. So my thought was maybe to have a quick look back and talk about, you know, what, what you think about the Trek that's aired this year in, in broad terms. Not too much, because hopefully we're going to look at it properly at the end of year live special on the Silver Screen podcast. And uh, obviously we can kind of ignore Picard season three, because we already put up our full review of that. Yeah. And you can obviously catch that on the channel still. But yeah, I mean, Strange New World season two and Lower Decks season four, we've kind of sat through, we've seen all of it. So uh, yeah, so what did you, first of all, what did you think of Strange New World season two overall this year? I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I, I don't know why, for some reason, every time I sit down to watch Strange New World, I expect not to like it. Um, <laughs> I, it's a very, it's a very strange thing for me, and uh, but yeah, I don't think I've 
really been disappointed this year. There, there have been some episodes that I've preferred over others. There have been some subplots that I've preferred over others. There, there are some that I'm really not keen on seeing any, seeing much more of, frankly. But uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. I think. Uh, Normally, it's a tricky thing, a second season, especially yeah. when you've had such a positive response to the first. But I think they uh, they pulled this off, this this one, this one quite well. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Okay, fair enough. Well, let's get into it. And let me just ask then. So, you said there's some plots that you like better than others and some things. So, what in the second season was a hit for you? What really worked? Uh, do, 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 we re- do we really need to say what, what worked? We, we all know full well we're all going to go straight to that crossover. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, that I really enjoyed. Uh, I, I, I didn't know how they were going to pull that one off, uh, but yeah, they really did. I, I, I didn't love it at the time. I'll, I'll be quite honest. I, I think we spoke about it at the time. Mm. Uh, but whereas I was just immediate, like nine point five, ten out of ten scores. Yeah, as soon as I watched it. Yeah, it's, it, it's grown on me. I've, I've watched it. Uh, again since then and it really has grown on me and those those damn characters from uh from lower decks they're just so endearing yeah absolutely <laughs> uh yeah i love that as well and that, that's definitely one of my highlights anything else you wanted to shout out or happy to leave yeah. it that? <laughs> i did after it, it's no secret about the one particular episode in season one that neither of us that we both hated yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i wasn't i was not thinking that uh hegemony was going to uh be my cup of tea yeah same <laughs> but it was surprisingly enjoyable i really did like that one uh i was pleasantly surprised as well because if, if the viewers you know if you are new and you haven't listened back we really both hated the episode which the name is escaping me even though i've recently watched it all those who wonder that was it uh, which was basically you know the the reckoning of the gone into weird xenomorph creatures and the the killing off of hammer which we didn't agree with and everything so we kind of hated that episode we hated what was done with the gone and so i like you was like oh series finale with these new gone that's not going to be great and it wasn't terrible <laughs> you know i didn't mind it no when if you to, to me if you are sat there and the end credits roll and you're screaming because it's left you on a bloody cliffhanger, which you w- weren't expecting, then that's a good thing. Uh, yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed that one. I've also uh, got some hope that the little hints that they dropped in the episode mean that we might get something approaching a, a ret- retcon back to the more recognisable kind of... Because at, at the point in season one, I was like, well, there's no way to, to square the circle of these guys with the thing from Arena. And now there are little hints of, you know, these are going or acting differently. There could be, and I was like, oh, please tell me they're fixing their unforced mistake. And uh, even the sort of, the, the one adult gold we see in the spacesuit fighting Spock, I was like, that's not bad. And that's a nice little homage in a way to the, the Kirk Gorn fight in the original series. So more like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the one standout, I mean... I'm going through the, the the list now. I mean, you know, Broken Circle enjoyed Ad Astra, just fantastic for me. Ten out of ten, all over for that one. Love that. My highlight of the season. Yeah, I know <laughs> you're not keen on uh, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Uh, I didn't. When I looked back on it, I think the majority of my issue with it is just 
the sheer stupidity of, of like, oh, we've now moved the timeline and everything. And it's like, it opens up too many problems. It gives everybody that whinges. It's not the same timeline, so it's not canon fodder. And yeah, I just can't get on board with it. It's like, it was supposed to happen in the 90s. Now it doesn't move on. Yeah, I, I, I didn't mind it. It's, I, can, I can, I, I don't get fixated like some people out there, so I can just kind of hand wave that away. Uh, plus, you know, uh, Christina Chong. Yeah, where can you go wrong? I think she's just fantastic. Well, I'm, I'm Paul Wesley in that one. I absolutely, he, yeah. Well, I would when, say when I first saw him last last season, I was kind of still on the fence. But <laughs> to me, really grown into the role during this season. And I thought yeah. that was, it, you know, if you disregard the uh, the canon aspect, I think it was a good uh, two parter, uh, uh, two hander. Yeah. Uh, I I love charades, and I see so many people hating that one. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't like it. <laughs> no, I, I I think Ethan Peck's comedic timing in that really good. I just I I yeah. I enjoyed that. I one. much preferred the one in the body swap episode in season one when it was kind of a similar thing. And I thought that was done much better, the kind of him acting as to Pring and, and her having to act as him idea. And even what they did with kind of Spock and Chapel in season one, where they they came close to that line, but they never crossed it in things like um the Serene Squall. But yeah, I think I, I didn't love the the knockabout comedy parts of that episode. And then when it ended with like Spock and Chapel getting together, I was just like, "This is just they don't they have no interest in the idea of canon at this point, do they?" It's like, All right, I, I just I just I don't know. To me, it was just like a, a comedic episode, and you know, it's still better than Profit and Lace. So <laughs> I've had bowel movements better than Profit and Lace. <laughs> yeah. I think the one subplot I'm not overly fond of was I, I again, and I think it's you've got similar feelings. Is the uh, the one that they delved into on uh, under the cloak of war? Yeah, with, I didn't like it. Yeah, uh, subspace rhapsody. I don't know anybody in the right mind can not like that one. Well, uh, you'd be surprised. A lot of people that were immediately like, I don't like musicals, and so you're entitled to your opinion, but I don't think they should be done, and I'm not going to watch it, and I won't like it, and it's just like. Why, why are you allergic to fun? <laughs> yeah, there, there, there were some things that I, there were some I, I liked some songs more than others. But of course, that's if, true with any musical, though, isn't it? Really? Yeah, but if by the end of it, if you weren't down with you know Klingons doing K-pop, there's something wrong with your soul. Frankly, <laughs> I really liked it. I thought it was a. I wasn't expecting it to be because. Like you said, you you look at these things and you're like, oh, it's going to be, there's no way it's going to be like a hit enough that you you would think that most of the songs are good as opposed to bad. And yet I can listen to that entire soundtrack, just like any musical film and stuff. And yes, I mean, as a nerd, I've had experience with this. I found the Buffy musical episode similar. Like you can listen to the soundtrack separately and, and it's fantastic. It tells the story and they're great songs, well-made and well-performed. But I was like, I, there's no way Trek's going to pull this off. And yet, yes, it did. I really thought it did. And like I said, I can listen to it back. There's some great singers in the cast. The way they, um, they thread in the, the plots of the season, as you said, things like the Kirk and La'an situation, uh, or, you know, Pike and um, Patel, or Spock and Chapel, these things that were just kind of bubbling under the surface and the way that they used, like, you can't keep them contained now. The musical will have to address these things. Now, that's brilliant. 
I can't believe you could possibly, oh, I'm not going to watch it because nothing important will happen when, in some ways, it's the most pivotal episode of the season for these characters, you know? Well, when you look at it, it's, it is very similar to what they did with Buffy, with Once More With yeah. Feeling. You think exactly. you, you immediately look at it, and once you get past the gloss of it being a musical episode, there are so many, you know, revelations yeah. hidden underneath and yeah i think they did they did an excellent job i mean don't get me wrong it's not something i'd love to see you know frequently uh no. i can i'm uh, although i do like my musicals i think there's a time and a place but i think my trepidation going into this one was unfounded i, I did uh, i did enjoy it yeah I was quite nervous because, as you say, Star Trek as a franchise, you do wonder, but I think they pulled it off brilliantly. And it does make me much less nervous about the supposed upcoming Doctor Who musical episode, which I feel like, okay, if it's... that They're now two for two on TV musicals for me. The Buffy one was great and the Star Trek one was great. So, sure, let's give it a try again, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it seems to be a rite of passage for pretty much most modern genre TV shows that at some point they're going to do a musical episode. And when you look at things like Trek and Doctor Who their longevity and their the fact that they're only just doing you know these kind of musical interludes it's uh you just think okay it's it's way past time and let's and let's be fair we've had stranger things on on both series i mean the fact that it's coming after we've had you know a western where every character is data or you know the equivalent of an old black and white flash gordon serial (laughs) <laughs> these these crazy playing around with genres and yet a musical is a step too far is just kind of like come on guys <laughs> we've yeah. done way weirder things than this yeah so. i mean you know have these people never watched the animated series it's <laughs> well <laughs> that's actually a good point because i wasn't going to mention that but since you brought it up uh it's also having dropped this year in celebration of the you know anniversary of the animated series the very short treks what did you think of those overall? <laughs> yeah, that that one I, I still kind of am on the fence. I didn't get as offended by one of them that a lot of people did. Uh, mm. It's I can see the point, uh, but again, it was just they're not canon. They were just like a, a little yeah. comedic thing. So I'd pretty much forgotten it a, a couple of days after I watched it. It's not something that I think, oh, I've got to get these on physical media. Uh, there, there were a couple that I really did enjoy, and there was one I just absolutely hated because I just thought, oh, come on now. I've seen I wonder it. if it's the same one as me because there's only one that I really hated as well. So which one was it? It was the uh, first contact one. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it just I, wasn't I, funny at all. No, I, I have seen I've seen more intelligent written episodes on BBC Kids TV. It was yeah. oh, it was horrendous. It's so weird though, because so many people were offended by the very first one, the TOS-ish one. And I love, even though it's completely patently ridiculous, I love this whole like Nickasonian and screwhead and all of this. I was like, it's so stupid, but it's so funny. And I was it's, totally on board with that. <laughs> I, I, I didn't, I mean, I didn't think it was 
you know, hilarious to the point where my sides were splitting. But I, I can see the humour in it. And I I can see both sides. I can see how people saying, well, it's just pandering to those that uh, are calling Star Trek woke these days. I think that's I think that's a lot of people were presumably in muscle pain from that stretch, to be perfectly honest. But, yeah, yeah, it's but but I, I again I can see both sides. I personally I quite enjoyed it for what it was. I I, yeah. I, I didn't try and read anything into it. Some people I don't know, think your, your mileage may vary. But when it came to that first contact one, I just no. It was just, just terrible. It was gross out humor of the worst kind that isn't funny, and you're just left thinking, Ugh, what was that about? Yeah, <laughs> it was full. I mean, yeah. I know some people have got problems with the uh the one prior to that, the Spock with the humor. Uh, oh, absolutely. But yeah, I mean, as you said, considering it's non-canon and looking at it in that way is just kind of like the show commenting on itself humorously. Just go with it. It's not, you know, I think a lot of it is that people get told these things aren't canon and yet still insist on trying to make it. And it's just like, no, it's not. Just accept that. It's, you know, it's as if you're watching the actors commenting on it and things. And I remember going on Memory Alpha because it was like the highlighted page as each one of these was coming out and they were trying to be like... This isn't canon, but it must happen in another parallel universe. And then, excuse me, when they get to the last one, because there's no way to rectify it, they were just like, this is simply an advert for Star Trek Lower Decks and uh, other Star Trek animated series on Paramount+. Plus. And I was like, yeah, what did you I, expect? Yeah, I don't see how you could watch that final episode and and think, yeah, we th th this fits. Yeah, well, it doesn't. The actors, the actors mention in you know, oh, we are. I am the actress that voices Tendi, and oh, we we owe you a lot, Star Trek, the animated series. But mind, your animation style is terrible. You haven't even got pupils and stuff. It's like there's no way to rectify that as being canon, other no. than just accept that some things don't have to be. Some things can just be Star Trek fans, you know, chatting crap with each other and having a bit. Yeah, more. yeah. I mean, the, the the two I really did enjoy. Out of, out of those little ones were were the that one the final one uh, with that mm. musical number and <laughs> I loved the one before with the you know the infinite holodeck regression holograms all the way down yeah because that was Aaron Walkie that was always good everyone was like I hate this and it shouldn't exist but we're just waiting for the Aaron Walkie episode because you know he wrote two of the best episodes of Prodigy if not three actually and uh, it came out and everyone was like yep turns out we were right we we absolutely yeah. knew this was the one to wait for and I was like you see. And I, I just, I also, it maybe it's that rebellious streak in me, but I just love the fact that by this point, until it got sold to Netflix, Paramount were pretty much adamant that there was no such thing as Prodigy existing. So okay. to see the characters in this one felt like a huge finger towards Paramount, and oh, I yeah. love that. I did, yeah, I did as well, likewise. And it was, again, probably only because it was Aaron that was writing it, but I was like, yes. Because, yeah, it was incredibly insulting that every one of those very short tracks ended with watch more animated Star Trek on Paramount Plus, Star Trek animated series, Star Trek Lower Decks. And I was like, <sighs> yeah. you just, you, you really do want to pretend Prodigy just never existed. Don't you? Yeah. And yeah. so it, it really got my, got my, I mean, you know, it's, it's quite easy to do. I'm an old misanthrope, but it really got my back up then when Paramount saying, go and see it on Netflix, the new home of Star Trek Prodigy. And you just think you bastard, you've just been pretending the thing doesn't exist for months. Yeah, exactly. 
Well, yeah. Well, we'll not get into that because we'll be here all day, but we're not yeah, fans of yeah. corporations generally, are we? So, mm -hmm. um, But yeah, so we, we've touched on those. So very quickly then, what did you make of season four of Star Trek Lower Decks? Oh, I, this is confession time. I, I've still not seen all of it. Uh, oh, darn. I was hoping well, to, because it ends in such a big, I can't spoil it then if you haven't seen it, but damn. I was okay. right there at the start and loving it, absolutely loving it. And then real life got in the way and this and that. And so the, the I think the last episode I saw was uh, Boimler and Rutherford, Mark Twaining it off in the holodeck. And <laughs> I think it was the one where uh, Tendy went home for her sister's wedding. Oh, you are so So you have you avoided spoilers then? You don't know what the big reveal about the mystery ship is or anything like no, that? No, I'm completely surprised that I've not oh, even no. stumbled upon anything because I'm it's still all over know, social media and I can't believe you I've, don't. And again, I'm not seeing anything. But yeah. This is yet another thing to be thankful that I left shitter uh, because in the in the groups that I am in, not had one thing spoiled for me. It's still going to be a shocked. surprise. I'm saying that, and I bet immediately after the recording, I'll get online and there'll be some big thing to kick me in the ball, spoiler-wise. <laughs> well, apologies, the audience member. I will hopefully be talking about it in the uh, the live special, as I see on silver screen, because I can't really discuss very much with, uh, with DK if he hasn't reached the point of any of the big revelations. Really, the last two episodes in particular were very big, uh, huge stuff, and tying into other Trek things and... Yeah, again, I don't want to spoil anything. I'll get too far into it. If you've saw it, you know, and you'll have your own opinions. I liked it a lot, personally, and uh, controversial opinion time. I do think, unlike most people, that Star Trek Lower Decks across its four seasons has been a far superior sequel and revisiting to Next Generation and even DS9 and Voyager than Picard Season 3. I think it's done a much better job at that. And, uh, you know, just make of that what you will. Because uh, I know a lot of people are still clamoring for Star Trek Legacy. I still, you know, I'm very on the fence. I, I mean, I'd watch it if it comes out, but if it never gets made, I'm not going to cry. But we've talked about that far too long for what was supposed to be a basic little section. So, uh, yeah, I, I will move us on, I promise now, to the uh, the bulk of the episode, which is, as I said, going to be a review of the DS9 episode, Blood Oath. We've been doing Klingon-related episodes all year, and like I said, it felt like... We had to kind of cover Blood Oath since the return of the Klingons, and it was a nice option because we couldn't really, uh, we hadn't really done anything with just the two of us, DK, so it was a nice way to, for us to touch base and kind of just do an episode with the two podcast mainstays, as it were, the two hosts. So, and look yeah. what happened. Uh, right, well, as I said, the episode that we're looking at is Blood Oath from the second season of DS9. I do have a behind-the-scenes section, so bear with me. There's a lot of information, but I feel like some of it, if not all of it, is relevant, so... Uh, yeah, I'm just going to dive straight into it, and DK, if you want to interrupt at any point, you know you can. Uh, so, this episode reunites three Klingons from Star Trek, the original series, reuniting inverted commas since they never met before, but, uh, and there's one from each season, Kor from Errand of Mercy in Season 1, Koloth from The Trouble with Tribbles in Season 2, and Kang from Day of the Dove in Season 3. And as I say, we've definitely got reviews on the channel of all three of those. Uh, this episode marks the deaths of Koloth, played by William Campbell, and Kang, played by Michael Ansara, although Kang did later appear in the Voyager episode Flashback, and Michael Ansara appeared in Deep Space Nine again, playing the character Jal in The Muse, which I'll be honest, I had no idea that was him. But yeah. Yeah. Um, Kor, John Kolikos, is the only one of the three Klingons to survive the events of this episode, though Kolikos was ironically, sadly, the first of the three acts to pass away on the 6th of March 2000. 
Uh, Campbell died on the 28th of April 2011 and Ansara on the 31st of July 2013. John Colicos, of course, reprised his role as Cole in DS9 Season 4's The Sword of Kalos and Season 7's Once More Unto the Breach. And Campbell, as Trekkies will know, had also famously played the Q-like Trelane in the original series episode The Squire of Gothos. Uh, Peter Allen Fields' original story, entitled The Beast, did not feature Kang, Kor and Koloth. They were to be new characters, but Robert Hewitt Wolf, a big fan of the original series, suggested using the three most popular Klingons from that series. Fields based The Beast on Akira Kurosawa's 1954 film Seven Samurai and John Sturgis's 1960 remake of that film, The Magnificent Seven. He modelled Koloth after James Coburn's character of Brit and Kang after Yul Brynner. All was based on William Shakespeare's character Falstaff, who appeared in Henry IV Part II. Interesting. Um, John Colicos was approached by Michael Piller and allowed to give his own input to the script. Colicos commented, When I started reading the script, I spoke to Michael Piller and said, I don't really want to play this character because it's totally contradictory to the original core. I actually had similar thoughts. Um, I have a huge following from the original one, and if he becomes just a buffoon, then I'd honestly rather not do it. Uh, Piller said, No, core starts out as a rather dippy, false Staffian character, but becomes quite heroic in the end. So Colicos said, Let me see the last two chapters before I commit myself finally. And then there was a question of whether we should all be killed off, whether this was the last hurrah for the supposedly over-the-hill Klingon gang. Pillar said they were contemplating keeping one of us alive, and then Kolikos said, well, I better be the Ishmael who lives to tell the story. And when they gave him that and agreed, he said, all right, fine. <laughs> um, the writing staff toyed with the idea of having the three Klingons appear as they did in the original Star Trek, but decided against it. When Michael Ansara asked why the Klingons now look different, he was told, Klingons live to be very, very old, and it's a natural physical metamorphosis. As we know later, that would, of course, be changed. Um, as a fan of the Klingons generally, and especially the characters featured in this installment, Robert O'Reilly, who plays Gowron, reminisced about Blood Oath, I was literally in ecstasy watching it. I was more excited to see that show than I was to see King Lear on TV. And I love Lear. <laughs> oh and, my uh, god, I can just imagine the bloody wide-eyed stare as he said that. <laughs> Glorious episode! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, finally, Clack de Kel Bracht, referred to in this episode, is later revealed in the Enterprise episode The Augments to be the Klingon name for the Briar Patch, which was seen in Star Trek Insurrection, which is a massive continuity nerd I love, because that spans yeah, two series and a movie. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, it's awesome. It's completely irrelevant to anything, but like I said, whenever one of those references comes up, I become the DiCaprio meme, like, oh yeah, <laughs> cool. <laughs> Action. We're the Silver Screen Podcast. Hey there, film buffs. I'm DK, your cult movie uber geek, and I'm here with my co-host, Mike Wilson. That's right, folks. We're your guides through the world of cinema, from beloved classics to the hottest films in the zeitgeist. On the Silver Screen Podcast, we dive deep into film culture. Join us as we review movies with honesty and respect, offering our unique take on what makes them tick. And don't forget our Silver Screen Cult Classics episodes. We'll take you on a journey through the hidden gems, the cult films that deserve more love, and the stories behind them. We've a blast welcoming all manner of movie-loving guests for lively discussion and to share our love of films. Their passion and knowledge make every episode a cinematic adventure. Plus, we'll give you our own scores straight from the heart out of five stars. You'll hear our honest verdict, no matter how much we geek out about a film. And remember what Arnie said, we'll be back. So don't miss a single episode of the Silver Screen Podcast. Subscribe now to the Silver Screen Podcast YouTube channel or find us wherever you get your podcasts. Let's embark on a cinematic journey like no other. Whether you're a casual moviegoer or a true cinephile, the Silver Screen Podcast is your ticket to film magic. And, and 
Cut. Cut. So, um, yeah, as I said, we are going to go into the section properly now then, and we are going to begin our analysis. A spark analysis. And if you're new to us or uh, you're slightly unfamiliar or, you know, just coming back after a hiatus, what we do now is we look at little sections just generally, like writing and plot, directing, uh, let's see, VFX, acting, things like that. But we don't stick rigidly to it if the conversation flows to one thing, you know, that's not necessarily strictly kept there. We'll just go with it. It's just a question of trying to organize our notes, basically. So that'll be how we kind of start things off. So... Uh, before we get into any of that, though, DK, I have to ask, because it's always of interest to me, when was the first time you saw this episode? Do you remember? And do you remember what you felt about it? Uh, yeah, I was... I'd, I was a big fan of Next Generation. A uh, big fan. And I used to buy the tapes back then. You know, it was two episodes per tape, I believe. And uh, so when... DS9 was announced. I was really looking forward to it. Bought the pilot, watched it, and then I wasn't sure it was for me. So I kept going. I, I bought a couple, and I just I, I couldn't get into it. I think the last one I, I bought during that time was the uh, the Q. The one with oh, Q. Yeah, and I just, I just wasn't feeling it. So I kind of dipped out. This one made me come back. Uh, I I I was working in a I believe it was a video game store at the time and that's where we sold the tapes. And I saw that you know these these three old buggers were back and I thought oh I have to uh, I've got to get this. So yeah, I I bought it as it was released in the UK and yeah, watched it that day. Although I'll I'll be completely honest I didn't love it. I didn't okay. love it. Is that the first time you watched it you didn't love it? Or? Uh, the first time I watched it, I didn't love it. It's grown on me a little. I'll I'll get into I'll get into it a little later. It's still not my mm -hmm. favorite. I think the, I think the guys deserved a little better. But, mm. uh, but yeah. okay, I can understand. I think where you're coming from with that. But um, yeah, so yeah, just to give you my kind of uh, take on this, then it's a kind of a weird one because. I really despise the first two seasons of DS9 in a similar way to you, probably. Now, don't get me wrong. There are gems in there. There are episodes that I would absolutely say stand among the best of Star Trek, like uh, Cardassians or The Wire or what was that, sorry? Move Along Home. <laughs> Insert Batman slapping Robin gif. <laughs> but no, I mean, like I said, the majority, unfortunately, of the episodes for me just don't really work. And overall, I... I like you, I couldn't get into the series. I couldn't find myself warming to the characters in any way. And I didn't like this kind of darker take on the Trek universe and kind of a lot of them, I'll be honest, a lot of the episodes I still even think now are pretty boring in that first couple of seasons. It hadn't quite worked out what it wanted to be. And I think it's quite telling that the show itself kind of recognized its failings when it came to you know doing what it was what it would become known for and was like, well, we're gonna introduce this war with the Dominion as an ongoing plot line to give something of interest. We kind of have to have a starship, even though we started out completely against the idea. We're going to bring in Worf so that we have some recognizable Trek touches. And, you know, at some point in season three, somebody remembered where the lights on the station were, presumably, because in season one and two, my word, they're using the dimmer switch. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So, to anyway, to bring that back to my point, my first experience of this episode was the only time I'd seen it previously, and it was... 
I was very young and I just started getting into the extended kind of world of Star Trek. I've mentioned before I'd watched the original series with my mom and kind of liked it, but never really went down the I'm a huge Trekkie route. And the one that kind of got me started on that was Next Generation when I was watching it at like five in the afternoon on, on satellite. So when I started getting into it, I was like, all right, let's go and see. At this point, DS9 was in its fourth season, I think. Uh, and Voyager had just about launched in the UK. So I was like, let's go and we'll watch these the ones that we can have access to or as, as Satellite kind of plays the repeats and things. And yeah, as I said, because it was the first two seasons of DS9, I, I know I've seen this episode, but I had no almost no memory of it because it was just one of those things where I think I watched it with eyes glazed over, like, all right, whatever. Uh, I didn't appreciate a lot of the things in it, which I think I do a lot more now. Don't get me wrong again on that one. Um, but at the time, because it fell in a, a rut of episodes where I was just like, this isn't trek like really <laughs> not to sound gatekeepery but it, it wasn't the trek that i particularly liked let's see on ds9 i didn't like the conflicts and like i said i struggled with the characters a bit and the writing in particular it was just something that i was like this is boring it's not very exciting and yeah i feel like i did the episode a disservice but i was too young to comprehend what was going on and i'll be honest this is potentially a bit uh, controversial I didn't know, I didn't realize that these three Klingons had appeared in the original series because it was before I'd started being a huge like Trek nerd deep dive situation. So like I would have seen those original series episodes, but again, because we were in the UK and we're getting the episodes like what, half a year or so at least later than the yeah. US. Um, yeah. There really wasn't that much fanfare about like, can you believe these characters are returning? And it was before we had like Star Trek the magazine. It was definitely before we had internet or anything. So I just I, I was not aware of who they were, and it went completely over my head. It was just like, oh, that episode with the three old Klingons, what was that about? <laughs> but when you know the history and recognize who they are and go back to it now, it's like, oh, I was such a fool. <laughs> you know? How did I not put this together? Um, and again, so in a way, it's kind of, it felt like in the last week to watch for this review, I was almost watching this for the first time because I was able to look at it with brand new eyes of like, now I'm a committed Trekkie that's seen every episode of every uh, series. I obviously know who these actors and you know characters are because as you get older and you're a huge nerd, you start looking into these things. So I was like, I don't remember loving that episode, but I'm going to watch it now and see how I think. And like I said, I think I appreciated it a heck of a lot more. And I appreciated a lot of the nuance that as a kid would have just completely went over my head. Certainly the Dax ideas in the episode were things that I probably thought as a kid, like, I can't relate to this. This is boring. What I, I don't want to, you know, oh, what, she's got a blood oath and she's worried about killing people. Ugh, just get on with it. Just show me some action. <laughs> and as, as I said, as you do when you're a child. But like I said, I appreciate now there's way more going on under the surface of some of those scenes and some of those themes. So speaking of which... Uh, I'm going to stop talking for a second because I've, I've probably the audience are like, shut up, stop rambling. So <laughs> I'll, I'll throw it over to you, DK, and say, in terms of the writing and the plot, do you have any quick thoughts or notes that you want to start us off with? Uh, yeah, it's. I, I think it's a shame that Colicos didn't like how he was portrayed at the start because I thought it was... I, th I think that was dealt with quite well. Uh, I, I think I, it, I think... it certainly grew on him, and you can see that when he comes back as core. He's definitely more comfortable with this version of the character. But I'll be honest, even knowing who it is, I don't recognize this as the same call from Errand of Mercy. <laughs> you see, this this is the problem I have with uh, when you return to a character all these years later. I don't mind that people have a different outlook. I don't mind seeing them. I, I, <clears throat> I don't necessarily think it's a question of growth, but 
obviously you can become a lesser person in that time as well. It's it's one of the big things. I mean, don't get me wrong, when you when you go over to the the other fandom Star Wars, it's one of the big things that I still defend about The Last Jedi. I mean, it's got a lot of things oh, wrong boy. with it. I think we've the, just the been Luke the equivalent aspect, of demonetized now. <laughs> yeah, the Luke aspect, I don't think he's one of them. Uh yeah, I mean he's not the same person, but it's years later. Years yeah. later. The guy's been through so much. So yeah, he's not that conniving, one would say, callous yeah. person that he is in uh, Errand of Mercy. Yeah. But I don't think the way you're setting him up in this, I don't think a viewer would have been interested in seeing in in seeing that version of Core as a protagonist. Yeah, if I may just be so bold as to give my what well, I think some of the reasoning was, I think the version of Core that we saw in Errand of Mercy would be impossible to root for and to exactly. be on the side of, and so they kind of he more than the other two he had to change. Like we could even in the original appearance, we could see that Kang was honourable and was you know not interested in you know the fall of everything in order to just spite people or whatever else. There was definite honour there. And Koloth, I mean, th there wasn't really much to hang off other than he was he was a, he's a bit of a comic relief in that one. Yeah, you know, was everyone was comic relief in that one. Exactly, but you could also see at the same time that he had that pride that is important for the Klingons that really made sense to this version of Koloth because we read it as comedic and it is when he's like, oh, but they're all learning to speak Klingon and they look at your ship, it's a garbage scout. And it's like, yes, that comes from a funny place of like adversarialism, but also we've all done that. Even among our friends, it's not like I haven't walked up and went like, what phone have you got? Oh, it's rubbish compared to mine. You know what I mean? Or, uh, yeah. Oh, what's, what car do you drive? What, a, a Rover? Oh, you must be sad. What's that? You know, and when you look at it as that kind of equivalent, again, there's, it makes sense that this killing on would be that guy. Um, but Core, like I said, he just had to change so much because in that episode, he's just unforgivable in a lot of moments. You know, the whole like, well, murder 200 people because. Yeah, exactly. There, there are strong Nazi tendencies there. It's, yeah. it's not the type of guy that you think. Yeah, let's follow this guy. Yeah. You have to change him. You have to change him. Uh, I could have maybe done without the... Uh, I, I don't know if it was because... Yes, you had your fair share of Klingons in uh, Next Gen mm. and obviously in the movies. But I found that when I first watched this one, the biggest jarring aspect to me was the Diana Ross perms. <laughs> it, I I don't know if it's because they were grey and I just I don't know. I just thought they'd all just come straight from the hairdressers. That's that mm. that was the biggest hurdle for me, seeing these guys with this hair. And I, I don't know why, because you know, obviously I'd seen Gowron before in in uh, Next Gen. I'd seen the Klingons in, you know, Track Five. To be yeah. fair, though, there were bigger problems with Track Five than Klingons. <laughs> uh, it it just seems so egregious to me. Yeah, the, the hairstyles. It looked like I could just imagine them all sat side by side with one of those, you know, helmet hair dryers above each of them. Reading the Klingon equivalent of just seventeen magazines. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I get what you're saying, and I kind of, I don't really normally care that much about those aesthetic kind of things. But as I was watching, 
or like after the accident happened and it was all over with, I was like, huh, part of me does wonder why they didn't do what they did with Worf and just give them like neat ponytails, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I get that, like, in Wolf's case, it's like, well, you've got to be a staff officer and you've got to look regulation or whatever, so you've got to look neat. And it's like, you could just have written it as, like, some Klingons do that. It's not a big deal, you know? And it would have at least looked, as you said, better than this weird, like, just let it all hang out shaggy perm situation they've got. Yeah, I mean, I realise I'm being incredibly shallow by bringing that point up, but it, it just seemed... I don't know. When you look at how they were back in the original series... Obviously, the, the makeup's changed because they had to bring him in yeah. line with how Klingons looked in the series. Well, but that... not just that, it's also, I have to say, far less racist in DS9. Because <laughs> when they have white actors playing Klingons, they don't blackface them. Yeah. It's just like, thank God. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it, I don't know. It was just it was just very odd. For some reason, I, I found it incredibly unnerving seeing them all with these perms. Yeah. It was, it it was very strange. I gotta be honest, it didn't bother me. Like I said, I thought about it in the end and was kind of like, oh yeah, that was a thing that I'm wondering about. Like, why weren't they the neater of hair and whatever? But it didn't bother me. And well, especially when you put Kang in that like kind of pseudo fur coat. Oh yeah. And, and well, I just thought this is looking very Milan. I don't know, man. I I'll get into it with the I loved Kang in this, but I'll get into it more in like the acting and stuff. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think he was amazing. Anyway. <laughs> Um, so yeah, any other like quick thoughts on the writing or anything you wanted to, to start us off? About? Uh, yeah, it's. I think, I, with the best will in the world. I think it's a very, plot wise. I think it's a very, what I would call a mid tier episode, and I think it's only brought up by the performances, which we're going to get into a bit. I, as far as the plot goes, I think it's. It's not it's not Trek's best, and I think it suffers from pacing issues. And I think there's personally, I think there's far too much build up. That's the thing I was gonna say, and I've got it in the notes, is that I don't agree that it's mid-tier. I think it's fantastic. It is a fantastically brilliantly written two-part episode. Unfortunately, it's 45 minutes long. Exactly. This is it's it's like they remembered that part one was going to be part one of two. Then they hit like 35 minutes and were like, crap, we've got 10 minutes to shove yeah. everything in. Yeah. <laughs> you, you're jumping ahead to my conclusion. It, they deserve better. Yeah. I think they deserve yeah. better. And when you look, I mean, with the best one in the world, those first few seasons of DS9 weren't the best. You could easily have jettisoned a lesser episode and give oh, it a, a second part. And I think these guys deserve that. And it, I mean, they it, have a the start of the season is that three part thing about the occupation of Bajor that has no business being three parts long. Do you know what I mean? It's, no. It drags like you wouldn't believe to get to the point. Yeah. And I think it, it, it also then it makes DS9 suffer as a whole because it kind of just ends and you never see the fallout with. Mm. Uh, Dax's decision, you never see what happens with regards between her and Cisco, and then by next week it's just forgotten about. That's that's it, yeah, that is any of the Trek series before like, 2017, though. To be fair, they're all guilty of that because they all have to be we've got to tune in next week and nobody can be lost. So, yeah. in a way, I was kind of grateful that we at least got that brief moment of like Dax going back, Cisco clearly being you know pissed. And Kira just looking at her knowingly of like, yeah, yeah, something's changed. And 
it's an unspoken thing, but we know what went on here between us, you know? And I was like, okay, at least it's something. But as you said, part of me is also just like, so where's the, like, it sets up so strongly the Cisco's like, if you do this, it's going to be completely against orders and there's going to be consequences. And then he literally just doesn't even talk to her when she comes back. And I'm like, where was the resolution to that particular plot line then? Yeah, it's, you know, a stern look is just not going to cut it. And I think... I don't know if if it was originally developed as a two parter, and then they just went, "Oh no, we've you know we've got to put some bullshit here about Quark instead." Uh, so, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it that's the weird thing is, like you said, even looking at it like that, like I don't mind the Quark and Odo stuff. It continues their rivalry in a nice way, and it's a very brief scene. And let's be honest, there's like next to none of the DS9 regulars in the episode, so at least it gave them a chance to be there. Like, there's no Bashir, no O'Brien, no Jake. You know, half of the cast are jettisoned in order to accommodate these three Klingons. And yet, like you said, you could easily make this into a two-parter and give everybody on DS9 a subplot. Yeah. Even if it was just Dax approaching each of them for their individual opinions. Like, you know, O'Brien, you fought Cardassians and killed them. What What was it like? You know, Bashir, you're a close friend of mine. What do you think? Do you think I should, you know, as Jadzia, am I still tied to this oath or whatever? And, you know... Jake, he couldn't, yeah, he barely was in episodes anyway, but even still, you know, yeah. there's ways to write the other characters in to make it more of a DS9 episode if you wanted to do that. I mean, in an ideal world, I would have loved to see this episode happen after season four and include Worf, just because yeah. I like Worf as a character, and it would be fantastic to see the clash of that TOS and TNG Klingons by a, like, no, actual just not. I mean, can you imagine this in a later series and having Martok in there? Hmm? Exactly, would, yeah. You just think, oh, this is just... It would make Way of the Warrior just, you know, look like... Oh, well, yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> I, yeah, it, it's it's a tricky one. I, I do like the fact that they gave Jadzia a, a fair amount to do. Yes. And I do think it helped with... Uh, it helped bring out Terry Farrell's performance, obviously, we'll get to that in a bit. But I just they they did a disservice to the characters that they brought back. And the big selling point of this episode were the characters that they brought back. Definitely. And (laughs) I was just I was just trying to think of a shorthand way to refer to Kang Coloth and Cole and almost went, Yeah, you know, the KKK. Let's not do that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we're, we're back to Cor's original appearance again. Uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I like aspects of it, but I just think it did a disservice to the characters as a whole. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was nice seeing Quark in the beginning, and for some reason, I don't know, a lot of a lot of Odo's lines in this one. I don't, I don't know if. I've, I've, I never really noticed it. Obviously, you know, he's, he's that kind of temperament. But maybe I just picked up on it. I'm, I'm now picking up on things that weren't there. But a lot of Odo's lines in this just seem to be, hmm. That's and, literally his entire character for the seven yeah. seasons of the show, dude. It, he's a cop. What do you expect? Yeah. <laughs> I just... The, it just... It just seemed to be to, as I say, to do a disservice. I did like the scene yeah. between 
Dax and Cisco uh, when she was leaving. But I thought the the runaround when she was trying to convince Kang that she deserved to be joining them on this quest. I think they they maybe dragged that out a little too much. As I say, it, it was a lot of build up and very little payoff. I think that's where we'll disagree because I liked all aspects of the build up. I just wish it hadn't been at the expense of a satisfying resolution. Frankly, well, that's the thing. If, if it, it had a two parter, yeah, I would have I would have been on, fully on board with it. But it just seemed too weighted on one aspect at the detriment of another. And and yeah, yeah, it, I just I couldn't get on board with that i definitely understand and i'd completely agree with that um but yeah i mean so we'll, we'll talk about the klingons first because why not that's what we're kind of at in terms of writing and plots we'll focus on that first of all and i have the question here that i've written down and i'm not sure if i can answer it but it's just as i said ds9 i think it's fair to say struggled to you know carve out an identity certainly in those first two seasons and so part of me you know thinks was this an early attempt to legitimize DS9 by using the TOS Klingons. The behind the scenes would seem to indicate not. It was just that some people were fans of them. But as I said, having watched both of them, we know that they shoved in like Q, the Duras sisters. They were trying to just drop as many continuity references to Trek as they could to point out like this is still the same show. So yeah. do you think there was an aspect of that in the in the recruiting of these three actors? I can't say what went on behind the scenes, but that's certainly the impression that I got when they brought yeah. them back. I, as you say, it seemed to have trouble carving out its own identity. It seemed to, and and it, this isn't a problem that's limited to just Deep Space Nine. We all know that early seasons of whatever Trek, and certainly Enterprise, I would say, had the same problem yeah. in the first two seasons. It just didn't know what it was. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, let's let's look at. Next generation, when you've got things like Cold of Honor, Shades of Grey. Uh, Good but, point. Yeah, yeah. So when you look at this, I do, I do think they were struggling. I do think they were, as I say, it's the impression I get of how to make this more relevant to these people that like Next Gen and maybe like the original series. And I do think there was an element of stunt casting to it. And and nobody can say that never came into play. Otherwise, there would have been no point bringing Worf into this thing. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I do think they were trying to establish, especially, as you mentioned, with, you know, by bringing uh, John Delancey in as Q and, and things well, like that. Well, I mean, that. even from the start of the genesis of the show, they had Cole Meany crossing over from Next Gen, who, that, that's got to, I mean, it's fair enough, it's probably to give the, the actor more as he deserves and stuff, but at the same time, it also gives you a built-in, like, remember, from Next Gen. Uh, yeah, you know. <laughs> I mean, you can expect that in the pilot. I mean, you know, obviously we had that with with Picard because it yeah. serves the Cisco's backstory. And when you look back at Next Generation, they did the same thing with having DeForest Kelly back as as uh, McCoy. Well, they do it on all of the series. I mean, they have Quark appear in the first episode of Voyager and Zephyr yeah. Cochran in the first episode of Enterprise. You know, so yeah. So I think they've they all do it as a basically an establishing set up to say yes this is definitely take place in the same universe look there's this character from this show are we happy now yeah we're in the same universe you might see these characters but i don't think that i don't think that was quite settled with ds9 i think the tone was so different to what came before in next generation and and mm. obviously the original series and it was so diametrically opposed to what roddenberry wanted 
that I think it turned a lot of people off. Whether they were overcompensating, I think they had they felt like they had to keep reminding the audience that no, this is in the same, you know, this is the same sandbox as these other characters. And but I don't think they ever quite felt at ease with that until later on, and until that you had these these elements from the other series appearing. And and so yeah, I mean, when I saw it, and I could be I could be wrong, but as I say, I went from the episode with Q. And then the next episode I saw was this. So mm. to me, personally, it did feel like they were just relying on callbacks. It's the point that I have is that, like you said, I loved all the setup and the dramatic scenes and everything. But it, again, as much as the last scenes were too short because it was only like the last 10 minutes, it also just felt really cheap. I was just yeah. like, they seem like they're just in the Paramount back garden fighting like four extras with barely any fight training. And it's just like, this is the big glorious battle that I'm supposed to be like, yeah, they went out the way they should have in a glorious fight. It's like, no, this is, it's just not great. you know. But it also, to me, I mean, going, going back to your, your last point, how Paramount treated Deep Space Nine is indicative to me on how creatives are allowed to flourish if the execs just keep the goddamn nose out of things. Yeah, absolutely. Because if if not, if Paramount hadn't got Voyager and was concentrating on that, it's it's likely that Deep Space Nine may have kind of fizzled rather than went out with the bang that it did. And that's indicative of that point that you bring up. It's it does come across as a little cheap. And when mm. it comes to the plotting, it almost feels like a fire sale in the mm. Yeah, look at these characters that we brought back. Oh, they're dead. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a bit of that, certainly, in the Klingon plot. Um, yeah. I, I only have a few things I wanted to go over then just to, to kind of finish the talk about the Klingons. Uh, first of all, I do like that they kind of have to address that they must be over 100 years old, so they just literally drop that line in and never mention it again. And yeah. I'm like, I'd rather you did it that way than just, like, have a full 10-minute thing about, well, Klingons live longer than humans, you know, and they would be... I'm like, no, just drop it in. These, we've got some old Klingons. They must be at least 100. Fine. <laughs> Move on, you know. Um, I loved the conversation with Kang where it's like Jadzia reminiscing about her time as Curzon and really discussing with him that, that, how meaningful, like, his his honor was to, to Curzon in spite of everything. I thought that was a really well-played scene between two great actors. Um, likewise, I think the, uh, the the later conversation where it's really tense, as you said, and it's kind of, it's come back around the other way, which I think I minded a lot less than you. And it's a tense face-off with Kang, who's like, no, you're not the same. That's not how the trill things work. Just, we don't want you with us. And it actually feel, I felt genuinely tense. And like there was, you know, two two forces pushing against each other rather than just arbitrary, we've got to get to the next line of the script. So I really loved that. I said possibly because Terry Farrell and Michael Ansara are just two great actors. So I was like, this is just watching two great actors bounce off each other and I'm loving it. <laughs> you, know? you see, um, I, could have, I could have done without it. It just felt like, at some points, it felt a little like a video game to me. Like, hmm. all right, she's checked off car. Now she has to check off call off. So, you know, you had that section in the Hollow Suite with the Batlas and stuff like right. that. It just, it felt a little too drawn out for me. So by the time it got to that conversation with Kang and Quarks, I was kind of thinking, we get it. You know, we get it. Just, just kind of move on. 
it's not that nice. I didn't appreciate it, but you've got a 40, what, 42, 43 minutes episode, and you know that you pushed for time. Mm. So looking at it, you just think this, unless this is a two-part, which, you know, when you even when you picked up the tape, you knew it wasn't going to be a two-parter. Yeah. It just felt very, you know, these are, these are three great Klingon warriors. Okay. Why are you all just sat around talking for the most part? And don't get me wrong, some of the best bits in Trek are people sat around a table talking. Yeah. But if you're doing that at the expense of what you're advertising for these characters, it's kind of a bait and switch. And it's all right to show them as great warriors and stuff like that. But as you say, when it gets to that, you're thinking, is that it? Yeah. It is. It does feel, but see, unlike you, I do disagree. I think I like all of that buildup, and I wasn't really, like I said, this was the first time I've really, with with modern eyes, I guess, looked at the episode. So in a way, it was like seeing it for the first time, even though I had seen it before. So I wasn't really watching the clock and wasn't aware of the movement of time until they got on the bird of prey, and I was just like, huh, not very long left to achieve this mission. Exactly. It feels like, say, 30 minutes of act one hmm. and then the, the next 10 minutes you've got five minutes each of act two act three kind of thing it just feels as i said if it was a two-parter and the first one was all build up and this was just the first parter and the second was actually going to the albinos and you know the battle and the the, the fallout from after it i think this yeah. would have been held up as one of the really really great treks yeah and I think they should have fought for that because I think it's it's quite telling that we want to see more of it, which you don't if it's a bad episode or, or the things aren't working. And I think even you would say like you thought it was it went on too much with the build up and the recruiting everyone and the sitting around, but you would probably still say that none of it was like irrelevant or perfunctory. Oh no, it, was it wasn't. Similar. It was just for the time allotted. It mm -hmm. was too unbalanced, and I think that's yeah. that's my problem. Because don't get me wrong, I, I don't know of any single Trek fan who wouldn't turn around and just say, "I want to, I want to see more of these guys." Yeah. So even if we had one more episode at the expense of one of the weaker episodes from Deep Space Nine, I think it would have marked it out as a really great one. But it, it just right now, plot wise, it's all good. Don't get me wrong. I, there's not one scene that I would say get rid of that's a bad scene or the the dialogue is awful and and let's not forget i mean this is this you know this is the show where it launched a thousand memes with the you know curs on my old friend and i'm dax now my old friend so you cannot fault the dialogue it's it's great yeah. it's really yeah. great and the caliber of acting in it is fantastic and with the best will in the world terry farrell to me was never a great actress but she's really good in this. She's. Good I think she. I, I disagree with you there. I think she's a fantastic actress. But again, oh no, no. Just... I mean, uh, 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 Hellraiser three would disagree, but you know. I've never seen it. To be fair, oh, so. yeah, uh, I won't bother, mate. Uh, but it's. It, there's nothing there that I would jettison. I can't look at this and say this is a bad episode. But it's yeah. let down by the fact that it doesn't. It's just not given enough time to breathe. I agree, but I think that's not so much the writing as the pacing. Um, and I will say, I've written down, during one of the conversations with Kang, I was like, I love this because this is devoting actual meaningful time to the build-up that you just wouldn't get nowadays because everything has to be flashbang and move to the next. Uh, but that's the thing. When you look at Next Generation around the same time, 
they they would have had it in that episode, but it would have been followed up with a part two when you look at you know yeah. things like Gambit and stuff like that. I mean, we've, uh, we've flogged that horse to death. I mean, it's safe to say that is the biggest issue. It's just not long enough. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. That, I, written, I mean, yeah. script-wise, I can't, I can't fault it. Dialogue-wise, I can't fault it. I just think it, the execution lets it down really badly. Yeah, it does feel very compacted. And even, like, I've written it down as, as I'm not sure if I have it as a note as directing or writing or whatever, but I've written that is also one of the problems is that even with all of the time devoted in you know in at the expense of the conclusion, there's still things that they do wrong because they do the criminal thing of like tell, don't show, which is the opposite of yeah. what you're supposed to do. So like they have to drop to us all of this backstory about we had this arch enemy, the albino. We were, you know, we fought him, we all arrived on the scene first, then he started killing all of our kids in cold blood and everything. And I'm like why am I hearing this instead of seeing it? Yeah, you know I mean, it's I, it's impossible to really connect, and I'm trying, and you'd certainly do with some of the acting later on. But it's really it's a barrier to connecting with that when it's like this would have been so much more powerful if you just showed it as a flashback. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Just... <laughs> it's too big a story for a yeah. forty minute episode, and that's the only problem with to, for me anyway. That it's yeah. just. Uh, one last thing then about the Klingon storyline. Uh, how did you feel about what Kang kind of did, making a deal with the albino to effectively, you know, oh, we're going to die, but it'll be in battle and kind of, because I don't love that personally. It seemed a bit like kind of, hmm. Again, the writing was so good for so long, and then it was like we needed to quickly write in something which seemed out of character and just a bit like, ah, uh, odd. <laughs> yeah, especially when... I mean, John Colicos was saying that it, it, that wasn't like his character. I can forgive that. But when you look at mm. Kang in Day of the Dove, he mm. doesn't strike me as that kind of person who would negotiate a deal with someone like that just for that particular outcome. It, it, yeah. it doesn't exactly ring true. And I think, again, it's it falls prey to the, the shorthand that it's, that it's given for the episode. I don't think that really there, there wasn't there wasn't that much need for it. I yeah, don't, I do, I, I don't hate it, but yeah, you're right. Though it didn't need, it didn't need to be there because the whole point is that they circumvented anyway. And whilst I think they saved it by the conversation with Dax, where she quite rightly points out something of the overall Trek franchise, which is why are these, why are Klingons obsessed with death? Why, why would you go into battle? Like it's going to be glorious to that. Why, why don't you go in thinking, you know, know what I'm actually going to live. If that's yeah. what I'm going to do. And it's like, this is a fantastic thing to explore in a different episode where you have the time. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. Again, don't get me wrong. I don't, I don't hate it. And again, people's character can change going back to what I said earlier, mm. but for the time constraints that it had, there was already so much in it. You could, you could, like you said, you could have, you could have, done without it if it wasn't going to be explored a little further which i think that extra you know i'm happy i'm you know continue backing up that tree that and, and another episode would have done and yeah yeah uh, so quickly then just in terms of writing and plot we haven't really touched on it because i wanted to do it separately but we have to talk about dax and her because obviously it's it's her episode ultimately isn't it she yeah. is the ds9 character that this is about and it's all about her i mean she is the title is referring to her blood oath or Curzon's blood oath. And I will, uh, before we get any further, I've got to address that, yes, it's incredible how 
trans positive this episode is and i can definitely see why a lot of people in the trans community lean on it as a kind of like this is amazing this is how you do representation right uh again it, it really proves how ridiculous these kind of track was never woke social justice or whatever yeah. kind of people are because what were you watching <laughs> you know? and uh as you alluded to earlier the meme of like Oh, Curzon, my old friend. It's Jadzia now. Ah, oh, well, then Jadzia, my old friend. Literally just a change of name and appearance, and he's accepting it. And this is a Klingon, you know, that's just like, yeah. oh, I don't care. Move on. You know what I mean? So I love that, and I love that a lot of people have really identified with that, that, that need something like that to identify with in the world. I love that it exists. Do you know what I mean? And I, as I'm writing down, I'm like, there's even more than just that moment. That's the one that launched a thousand memes, but like, as you go on in the episode, you have like Jad Zia saying, don't mistake a new face for a new soul. Yeah. It's just, that is a perfect summation of like coming out as trans or, or as anything like these, these things to other people that, you know, like I'm still the same person. I still have the same soul is, is a beautiful way of putting it. And there's a line when uh, the Klingons are debating back and forth about your Jad Zia go. And I think one of them says, it's still Curzon, still our brother. And they oh, this this is nobody's brother. And then one of the Klingons says, brother, sister, what's the difference? Yeah. And I was like, wow. <laughs> it's just like, can you even believe those words existed in a show from, what, 1994, yeah. whatever it was? It's like. It is one of those that these people that, that, you know, constantly harp on around Star Trek is now woke. You just want to, there are certain episodes, and I know everybody goes to, you know, let that be your last battlefield. But you mm. should sit them down in front of this one and said yeah. just watch this and then shut up forever yeah absolutely and i mean there is some pushback from kang but it never feels like it's it doesn't feel for whatever reason sexist it's not like you're not coming there's a tiny element of that but i think the majority of it is just like as you find out no this is going to be your last mission and you're not curzon so you shouldn't be tied to his yeah you know, it, it, it goes on to that you know uh a new host doesn't have the commitments of the old yeah, which uh, I think is nice. I think more in line with that. Yeah, completely. And uh, in terms of Dax, I'd love the scene with Kira because it's the sort of thing again that you just wouldn't really get nowadays, and that we didn't really get to that deep of a level in Star Trek. And again, Nana Visitor is such a good actress that when she's actually querying, why are we talking about this? And when she delivers that killer line about you know when you kill someone, take a piece of yourself as well. I was yeah. like, wow, this is just incredible. And I love that it's taking the time to address this, which it never did. Like, it's one of my biggest issues with redemption is that Worf, a Starfleet officer, resigns, murders a bunch of Klingons, turns up three weeks later and just, oh, here's your pips and badge back, Lieutenant, back on the bridge. I'm like, he just murdered a bunch of people. You know? Yeah. But, um, yeah, so I, I like that it addressed that a bit further. And even in that horribly messed, rushed ending, there's an opportunity for Jadzia to, you know, falter when she has the chance to kill the albino and for what I, I, I'm possibly reading subtext that isn't there, but what I read is Kang basically protecting her honor by saying, thank you for leaving the killing blow for me. I think he's covering for what he knows is her hesitating. Yeah. And I'm like, I love that. Cause that's fully in both of those characters. Like Kang being all about honor would absolutely do that as like, oh, I know you weren't being cowardly. You wanted to save the, the last blow for me, but we really know the truth. But you know, it's it's understandable and you still have your honor. And I'm like, I love that. There's so much with so little that you do in that scene, you know. Yeah. And I think uh it, I do I, I 
I don't think you're you're the only one to kind of pick up. I know you said you were reading into it something that possibly not there, but I I I got that same vibe. Maybe maybe that was the point then in that case. Yeah, yeah. great. Um, and the other thing I do love, even though it's very brief, I love that it turns out that there's a reason for Jadzia specifically being there. And that it comes to their benefit when she even says, like, she's using her science skills because she's a science officer so she can disable the energy weapons because it genuinely gives Jadzia a purpose, which I think you needed as yeah. opposed to just I'm living Curzon's life. You know what I mean? So yeah. I was like, I like I, it's brief, but I appreciated it. And obviously, I do love perhaps it's a good day to live when he's been talked around as well. So, yeah. Um, that's all of my notes on the writing. Did you have anything else? Pretty much covered everything that I had on that, that in those fields. So let's move to the acting very quickly. I mean, we've touched on it basically anyway. Uh, so do you have anything you wanted to start us off with? I can't... I, I mean, I can't fault the acting, really. There's no one here. I, I think I would... It's more cause and Kang's story. William Campbell, in comparison to the other two is given not that much. Uh, I mean, yes. what he does with it is... But he seem, he almost seems very frail to me compared to the other two. My biggest uh, problem with that, and I feel daft saying it, but my biggest issue is that William Campbell still looks so much the same as he did back then. And because he played such a recognisable character without having any prosthetic makeup and stuff, all I can see is Trelane and I just can't get past that in my head. And I know he played Koloth as well, but it's just like all I can see is that performance, and I think it's unfair to him because it's, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't have that problem. What I I think I, what maybe I'm butting heads with is that although I remember him as Koloth, as I say, pretty much everyone in that episode was comic relief. Yeah. So to see him hurt as an actual Klingon warrior and a threat to be taken seriously. I'm not going to say it doesn't ring true, but it's just hmm. kind of at odds in my own mind. I think with... they did enough of that, though. I mean, like I said, that, that fantastic line at the start with, how did you get in here? I'm Koloth. That explains enough. Yeah. That was that was nice. And then I do think you need that kind of Bartleth sparring on the holodeck to show that he, you know, he is a warrior of the type you're, you're more used to now. So I think they do enough. But like I said, my biggest issue is that tonally, you're right, it's it's tonally jarring because it's not the call-off from The Trouble with Tribbles because that's a comedy episode. And as I said, he's also played a character who's basically Q. So it's kind of a impish comedy character again there. So like you, I struggled, but for different reasons, to see him as like a Klingon warrior. And it wasn't yeah. the writing's fault. It wasn't even the actor's fault. It's just that... It's not really what we're used to, I guess. Exactly. What might have made it... I mean, I'm arguing with myself at this point, but what might have made it more in line with what we've seen before is if the, the initial roles of Kor and Koloth were kind of yeah. reversed. And it was Koloth yeah. in the Hollow Suite at the start and waking up drunk. Maybe on the initial watching, I would have... Pro I, I could have picked up on that and accepted it a little more because mm. then you you would have core coming in and saying I'm core and you've already seen how threatening he is obviously in errand of mercy so maybe that was more acceptable maybe it feels right. like a bit of a switcheroo to me but at that point 
are you just including Karloth as a figure of fun? I do wonder if part of it, as you said, because you're right, and I've never, until you said it just then, I'm like, yeah, they are kind of, they're flipped. And I do wonder if the intention was that when they decided one of the Klingons was going to live at the end, that it was initially going to be Koloth. And when Kolokos was like, I'll do it, but only if I'm the one that survives, they were like, oh, crap, well, we'll have to quickly write Kor as Koloth and Koloth as Kor, because otherwise that doesn't yeah. work. You know? it, it does It does seem to be... But again, maybe you know, maybe Campbell liked the fact that this time he wasn't this fear of ridicule, if you know yeah. what I mean. So... Mind you, again, they sell it in other ways because I think the fact that Odo completely defers to Koloth, like he's being very obviously, you know, standoffish and he's being very dismissive of Kor because he's like a drug Klingon and he's already done the whole, oh, I'm having a Klingon afternoon, I've got a headache. And then as soon as Koloth's been in there for two minutes, it's just like, open the cell yes so kind of thing and i'm like okay even odo at this point's like all right dude calm down <laughs> you know yeah so i was like you're selling me on this idea but yet i with my own eyes can still just see the actor william campbell in there you know yeah <laughs> i think he, he does he does very good with the stuff that he's he's given yeah. but i do think just in comparison to uh kang and core it's yeah it's it's not as much, but I do love I it it's very close to my favorite line. It's just the way he delivers it that at the end where he, where he's talking to Carr and he's just I will not die before you do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but he's he's a great actor. That's the thing. I mean, I've said during his entrance, I was like, even if it doesn't, it feels a little jarring or whatever. In terms of acting skill and level, William Campbell hasn't missed a beat. Like he he looks and acts as if this is two days after he last appeared in the original series. Yeah. There's no disconnect in terms of this is that actor. But unfortunately, that actor is known for two roles that were comedy. Do you know what I mean? Which is weird. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So do you want to carry on <laughs> before I take over completely? It's all right. Uh, John Colicos. Love that dude. Love that dude. Mm. He's... I don't know. He, he is like, and maybe it's because I'm coloured by the fact that I saw them both sparring in Errand of Mercy. But he, to me, is like the Trek villain version of William Shatner that you can just come on board, <laughs> chew the scenery up like something chronic, storm away, and you just think, "What a guy!" I just, yeah. I just love him. I think he's great. I mean, I grew up watching him in. Battlestar Galactica myself, but obviously he's a fantastic actor, you know, Anna the Thousand Days and, and that kind of thing. He's he's really good. And again, it, it it's such a shame that when he first approached this, he wasn't that bothered because that, to me, he's the highlight in this one. And that's saying a lot because I had so, so many problems trying to pick the best character in on, on this episode. But I just... I just think with what he's given, he, he's great. And it was just great to see him return again later on. I definitely have a favourite among the three Klingons, if I had to pick, and it wasn't the same as you. Um, but I will say that I think I'm very glad that Kor is the one that went on to have the two other appearances. Because, again, it felt like he, he was he was doing what this episode needed him to at the expense of like the overall character. So I do love that, yeah, he plays a drunk Klingon very well. And yet when he has to do the sombre, serious things, he's capable of that switch. But that is his entire journey in this episode, is that he has to go from, you know, buffoon, Falstaff character, whatever, to 
I'm the last survivor of these people and I recognize the weight of it. And there's not much room for anything else in there. So that when he comes back in like Sword of Kalos and once we're into the breach, you can really dig more into the character. And and it's like, I'm really glad we got to explore a bit more of that with those episodes, which I do remember a lot better and which I do really like, you know. So, yeah, that's just my thoughts anyway on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fine. And um, so what did you think of, we've talked about the other two, what did you think of Michael Ansara? Oh, God. In, in the most heterosexual way possible, I could listen to Michael Ansara read a freaking phone book and think it's sexy as hell. I, I more or less wrote exactly the same thing, only in a slightly less, you know, the, the <laughs> guy is, sexual way. <laughs> yeah, the, the, oh, God. I mean, the, the certain, there's certain actors that you just think that voice is just something else. Yep. And I've always felt that about Michael and Sarah. I just think he's an absolutely you. You instantly take him seriously as an actor as soon as he starts talking, and he holds such commands, such weight, and such authority absolutely. that you can see why they. Even though it's you know, there's obviously three of them. He is the 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 voice of. The authority in that little triumvirate. He's kind of the leader. I mean, if you had to pick a one that you see who's leading this group, even though there's no kind of official naming of it or whatever, he does come off as very much the leader of these. Oh, deals. exactly. I don't think you could have it any other way because the, the way he acts, even when you say if you, you go all the way back to the original series and you look at uh, Kang in Day of the Dove and Kor in Errand of Mercy, yes, Kor is the most vicious out of the two mm. but i still i would still looking at them side by side you would think as soon as uh kang starts talking you think yep that's the captain yeah <laughs> yeah 100 like i said as i said the same thing my exact note is ansara's voice is still powerful and it, it is. is it's just like it's one of those things like he's he was gifted as a human being that he just happens to have that kind of voice where as you said he opens his mouth and commands a room and so you're just like yep that's such great casting as any kind of klingon and and i loved him in day of the dove as you know even though i wasn't on that episode and i love him again here i think his command of of being that it gives it the real gravitas that you need like you, you know yourself there is various different types of klingons and you could have went the ridiculous bug-eyed Gowron route. You know, you could have went the super serious, depressive Martok route. And then there's Michael Ansara, who's just like, I don't even question it. I just believe you. <laughs> Whatever you tell me, you know, yeah, you're in charge. You yeah. want to tell me you're the chancellor? You want to tell me you're Kalos himself? Whatever, I believe you. <laughs> you know what I mean? So. As you say, the, the, the sheer authority behind his voice, you pay attention. Yeah. I mean, when my alarm goes off in the morning, I'm just like, I'm not getting up. But I bet if I switch my alarm to Michael and Sarah saying, <laughs> get up, I would get be... Get up, you talk. <laughs> yeah, I would be out of bed like a shot and doing push-ups. <laughs> yeah, it's like that. And I think that relates to another note I've got, which is that all three of the actors, but especially Ansara, are taking this really seriously and not looking down on it, which for a, a Trekkie... It's such a welcome relief because so many actors and so many just people in general look down on it as like, oh, that daft sci-fi or whatever. And nope, they're not. there's none of that. And thankfully, he has the character where he's able to bring more of that to it and that lend that gravitas. Because even though the other two actors are taking equally seriously, the characters they're playing are not necessarily serious characters. 
So I'm I'm kind of grateful. That's why Kang, I think, is my favorite of the three because he brings you the, oh, these stakes are serious kind of thing, you know? And uh, I think that's why he is like the last one that you see fall and he gets the last moments with Dax and, you know, uh, he's ultimately the one that does the killing blow and everything. I was like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with this guy, you know? Well, like I said, any guy that can wear pretty much a fur jacket and still come across as like the main man, You've yeah. just got respect. He is. He's one of those blokes where you can just fully imagine he's wearing a fur jacket because he probably walked on the bird of prey. And Koloth, for example, was close to sniggering. And he just stared him down and went, something to say? Yeah. No, no, no. I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. Man. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And this, and I mean, again, I'm, I'm, I'm harping on about it to, to an extent. But another episode with these three guys in it just would have been perfect. It would have, yeah. Like I say, I don't agree with killing them off at all. I'm glad we at least got more of Cole, but I think you're right. I think they were married in the writing to this idea of we have to kill them off, and I don't think they should have, no. to be perfectly honest, because they could easily have come back, all three of them, whether together or separately. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, do you want to move on to the direction? Because we've we've taken far too long. And we're saying, oh, I can be sure. We don't have a guest. No, yeah. you forgot it's the two old guys in the corner of the pub just waiting no, away. No hit or miss section, and yet we just ramble for hours. So, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, direction. Any thoughts quickly from you on that? Uh, the, I, you've already kind of brought it up. Uh, I liked it. I I do think it had a tendency, like a lot of DS Nine was back then, to be a bit over dramatic, melodramatic, uh, mm. to an extent where. It goes beyond serious and into kind of camp. It, mm -hmm. it, it kind of seems to take itself too seriously. With regards to that, not overly keen on the direction of the spa between uh, Jadzia and Cola. Oh, I thought that was well done. I've written the opposite, but okay. <laughs> I, I like the dialogue during it. I think it's well choreographed. I've actually written as well. <laughs> oh, I, I wasn't feeling that. It seemed a bit... Yeah. I don't know. It just, it seemed like to me, maybe like kids in the playground pretending to be a Klingon and a Federation officer. Yeah, I felt than... the fierceness of that because it really felt like he was going for it. And yet, like I said, when we get to the final battle and they're actually facing the albino soldiers, for me, that was very much, we are stage fighting. You you it... move your thing there and I'll move it here. And, and it, I never was convinced they were out for blood, you know? <laughs> Well, that's that's the other thing I was going to go into. And on that final fight, it, none of it really felt convincing to me. It all felt kind of stage fighting. It was very and I'm much putting stage that down to the direction rather than the performance. Yeah, probably. Um, yeah, I mean, without wanting to sound fully critical of, of the direction, I do say they did a lot right. I didn't look up who it was, but I think the use of like close-ups to emphasize the actual acting that's happening, I think is really well done. Like they never just hold on two shots. It's always like focusing on that character or on their eyes as they talk. And I think that was a fantastic choice. Because unlike you, I think the Dax Koloth fight was well choreographed. I think the lighting is terrible, but it's not the director's fault. For some reason, they just forgot where the lights were on the DS9 station set. Yeah. <laughs> for the first two or three seasons anyway. I love how nice the outdoor compound of the albino looks when you see it like as a sort of overall thing. It's like, oh, it's beautiful and it looks lush and whatever. And then when you actually get the actors landing there and going on there, it's like, oh, this is just Paramount Backlot. <laughs> <Yeah>. Down. <laughs> you know? um, 
Yeah, it's a real shame. And I think the costumes that they give the albino soldiers are just awful. <laughs> How if they're recycled from a low-budget movie or something? It, but it it just... looked, they did look like something from V, the TV series. <laughs> yeah, precisely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a nitpick, but like I said, and as you said, it's just too much stage combat at the end. And as I said, I like a lot of the talky scenes more, which are well-directed and well-acted, and that's all I want to say about that now. <laughs> so. I, I, I mean, don't get me wrong, I didn't hate the final fight, but it wasn't good enough for these characters, as you no, as you said. Exactly to your like point. Yeah, because even the deaths, I was like, I don't feel anything, and it's not because the actors aren't giving it their all, or because like I, I genuinely do actually care. I'm, I'm not saying I don't, but because it's so rushed and it just feels like stage. Like I said, it's like you're watching a play, so it doesn't feel real. And I was like, I feel nothing about it, and it's yeah. just so quick and like, oh, okay, is that what happened? I, 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 I felt. <laughs> You know, I felt grief for the characters, but not grief for how it was played out. It was just, yeah. It, yeah. There was no visceral sense of like, no, no. Oh, you got it. It was just kind of, oh, that happened. All right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, anyway. So I that's all of my notes. So do you have any notes on direction, VFX, music, sound? You may as well rattle them all off because we're running very No, late. the VFX and the sound, it were pretty much standard for the time. There's nothing that really stood out for me yeah i will say nothing stood out for me either really um okay super quickly then because we are trying to bring it around to the name of the podcast do you have i don't know two or three things that you would say were a hit in the episode overall uh well the characters obviously uh def definitely hit uh yeah i think that's that's pretty much it I would agree. I think the, the characters, the characterization, the acting, the way those characters are written, that's what really works for me. And the fact that everyone's given depth. And frankly, the way that they use Jadzia, I think is really good. Um, the way that it ties into her being a trail and the past lives thing and everything. I think that's very clever writing. So yeah, those are my hits. So what would, what would you say was a miss though in the episode? What didn't really work? Oh, we've, we've already gone over it. It's, it's pretty <laughs> much the execution and the, 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 the pacing. Yeah, I agree. Far too rushed. The last act really did feel like an afterthought, which it shouldn't when it's what everything's building to and what they've kind of... And even, I mean, I haven't touched on it, but even the idea of like the albino as this boogeyman terrifying villain, all, all we're doing is hearing that. We never see anything that he does. No. And then and when he, he appears... It's a Klingon with white hair. Awesome. Yeah. And it's it's... I don't necessarily blame the actor, but he just has... There's no presence there. I was never like, oh, this is the scary guy. I was just like, oh, okay. But it's it's like you mentioned <laughs> earlier. If there, if there may be so, uh, excuse me, shown a scene earlier with yeah. him actually doing the deed, yes. maybe you would have a more visceral reaction to it. But yeah, I mean, the way that they give him, I mean, he's barely an you know, he's barely an entity anyway in it. But what they give him to do, he just comes off as kind of cowardly and rubbish, and not yeah. this kind of figure of menace because it's just him in his compound, like everyone defend me. And I was like, oh, and there's a hint of the kind of menace when Jadzia's facing him, and he's like, in cold blood, would you do it? Come on, do it then. And I'm like, okay, this is really good. But then that's two seconds before he's killed. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> That's fair enough. So we'll move on then to the favourite character moment and line part while we're doing our summations. Uh, go on, I'll let you start. Who was your favourite character in the episode? Well, I've already pretty much said it's it's core. I mean, as much as I love Michael and Sarah, I, I, I do have to give it to Colicos on this. I mean, we, uh, obviously in Errand of Mercy, 
we never saw that friendly side of him. So it is nice to see how, I guess you could say, jovial he is amongst his friends after times pass for him in some way. I mean, the old you can still see glimpses of the old core, thanks to Colicos, but there's a much... Well, I won't, you know, I won't say a softer edge, but a more respectful angle with Dax than we ever saw with Kirk at the bar mm. uh, in that little scene. You can see he's carrying more than his share of regret, but he's uh, he's no less the warrior than we saw back then. So, yeah, I'm going to have, as I say, I was very torn on this one, but I'm going to have to give it to Kor. One very last sidetrack then. What the heck is a Dahar master? I'm still not in the wise. <laughs> no idea. Maybe it's just ever <laughs> a boggle. <laughs> That's what part of me's thinking. Like the first place I always go to is just like, oh, he's great at cards, and I'm like, I'm sure yeah. it's supposed to be a combat thing or something. But it just Mike McMahon, if you're listening, the there's, a, there's a joke for you. <laughs> there you go. You can have that one free. To Master just means he was really good at boggle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, my favorite character, in spite of what I said, if I had to pick between the Klingons, I could. But ultimately, for you know, for putting it on the record, I can't choose between Khan, Koloth, and Kor. Uh, and I do love what they did with Dax. So the interest of sticking to the rules, I'm going to pick Dax as my favorite character in the episode, which isn't because the Klingons are weak. It's because they're all, like I said, I, I, I would feel bad picking one over the others. And I would be not sticking to my own rules if I said these three characters. So I'm going with Dax. <laughs> anyway. Fine. Um, so what was your favorite moment in the episode? Uh, I, I Again, I, I did. I wasn't going to use it, but I'm going to say, yeah. The uh, the Koloth, I will not die before you do. I thought that that level of friendly pettiness, it was kind of welcome in, mm. in amongst this this battle going on. It, it, it did feel very Klingon to me. When you think as well that they hadn't acted together, because like I said, they weren't actually together in the original series, it's things like that that sell you on the idea that they know each yeah. other and there's a camaraderie there, which I think was needed as well. So I appreciate you saying that. Um, my favourite scene, as I've already kind of basically said, was uh, the conversation between Jadzia and Kang when he was kind of fighting against the idea of her going and she was reminiscing on Curzon and what he meant and the fact that he was the godson of Kang's child. Um, yeah, I loved that scene. I thought it was it was an interesting level of just dramatic depth. And even though it's everything that people complain about because it's just two people sitting, talking, it really worked for me. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, and what was your favourite line? I'm going to throw this one over to you first because I have a feeling that you're going to have the same favourite line. So I'm going to let you <laughs> say it first. And I'm going well, to... Okay. Well, my favourite line is related to my favourite scene. And as I said, there was so many possibilities like that I could have picked, which I won't rattle off. But yeah, unlike some things where I'm like, oh, I'm struggling to think of a great line. There was like five or six possibilities. In the end, the one that hit me the most, the one that made me like almost tear up was... Uh, Curzon was decorated many times for his diplomatic achievements, but no honor touched him as deeply as yours. Oh, I just I felt that, you know. So that's fair enough. You've, you've not actually given the line that I, I thought you would. Okay, uh, it's that uh, the old Klingon ways are passing. There was a time when I was a young man, the mere mention of the Klingon Empire made worlds tremble. Now, while warriors are opening restaurants and serving rack to the grandchildren of men I slaughtered in battle. Things are not what they used to be, not even a blood oath. Hmm. No, I didn't even have that as my possibility. Of a really? Oh, my God. No, no. It's Michael Ansara being Michael Ansara and, you know, goosebumps. That's why I think there's other lines of his that were definite possibilities. And one of them was perhaps today is a good day to live, which is 
corny as heck, but he completely sells it. And the two-way conversation at the end when he dies and he just goes, oh, well, perhaps today is a good day to die. And then Terry Farrell just gives it the most heartbreaking, it's never a good day to lose a friend. Yeah. <sighs> but again, I didn't choose those, but those were the other possibilities. <laughs> so uh, over to you then, audience. As you know, we always sort of put out things on our social medias. You can find all our links below to ask you what you think of the episode that we're reviewing. And this week was no different. And we had quite a big response. So, as I always do, I basically fob this off to DK. <laughs> so, DK, over to you. What did the audience make of this episode in what I like to call subspace communicates? Incoming transmission. A nice one. Well, we've got quite a lot on this one. <laughs> Start off with the uh, the Star Trek family group on Facebook. Uh, this is uh, John Vidal. He says, overall, I rate the episode about a four out of five. But what they did, bringing back not only three of the original series Klingons, but the same actors, yeah, that gets ten stars out of five. It is, in my opinion, probably the greatest thing that the entire Star Trek franchise has done. I especially love that they upgraded the makeup to current standards and did not even bother to try and explain it. They just are what they are. Of course, it also helps that the three actors are excellent actors. So, yeah, pretty much concur there. Yeah. Uh, Still in the same group, Bradford Leonard says at least a five. While Michael Howard says Terry Farrell loved the episode because she got to play Action Barbie with a batleth. <laughs> also, it was a great tribute to original series actors John Colicos, William Campbell, and Michael Ansara. I rank it as my second favorite DS9 episode behind Trials and Tribulations. I'm getting a feeling uh, Michael's a bit of original series fan as well as a Deep Space Nine one. Uh, Sola Williamson says the best is when Jadzia comes back to Deep Space Nine and just sits at her post without a word after defying Cisco. Another fine moment is the scene between Jadzia and Kira about what it's like to do lights out harm to someone powerful. The battle scenes are just so good. Great episode. And they've given it 10. Uh, Marco, you'll have to forgive me if I pronounce this wrong, but it says Marco on, oh, on back live. Uh, excellent episode. Five out of five. Ian Shaw says, surely it should be Kaplaz out of five, and for him it's a solid four. Uh, Kathleen Susan Dakota gives it ten stars. Uh, now, over in the Nerdy Up North community on Facebook, Adam Walker says four out of five, just a great fun tribute to the original Klingon actors from the original series. And Mim McGregor says, yeah, it was pretty cool. Haven't seen it for a while, we'll probably give it a four. Uh, over on what I lovingly refer to as Shitter, otherwise known as X. Uh, Jade says, one of the most simple yet beautiful scenes in all of Trek gets me every time. And they are, of course, referring to the, uh, well, Jadzia, my beloved old friend. Yeah, that's what I mean, because Jade is actually a trans woman, so I know that... Ah. Trans exactly. women really... You know. As you say, it represents, and it's and it's done in, done right. Yeah. The, uh, the television past, present, and future group, uh, back onto Facebook here, says, oh, it's definitely a... For, uh, po Start again. Paul Eaton says, Oh, it's definitely a 4.5. Uh, and the Northeast Retro Den, which is an acronym for nerd over on Facebook, uh, Paul Senior Skog Schofield says, Kapla is all I know. Uh, in the Star Trek family Facebook group, Richard Steele says, Four stars. Gabrielle Kaira says, A story with character development for Jadzia, along with the added character depth of our favorite trailblazing Klingons is the recipe for an automatic Trek masterpiece, and they've given it five stars. Rosemary Rose says it's one of the best, five out of five. 
Rick Stein says, five out of five. Brilliant story with brilliant characters acted by brilliant actors. And Jeffrey, I presume it says Jenkins, gives it a 10.2. Over on <laughs> out of five, which is pretty Yeah, impressive. I know. This, this is a popular one. I'm, I'm feeling like the Antichrist right now. Uh, oh, dear. Trek Twitter refugees, uh, Jake Thomas Evans, says, I reckon I'd give it a four. Nice to give recurring characters from yesteryear a satisfying send-off and gave us a fresh new side to Dax. Am I right in thinking this was the app that gave her the action Barbie nickname? Uh, and then over on Star Trek ship posting, uh, Fabio Rodrigo Rocha Herman, Herman Chuck, maybe. Uh, again, forgive me if I'm pronouncing these wrong. Gives it five stars. Uh, Jacob Owadowski says, as nice as it was to see the classic Klingons back, the episode was pretty mid. I agree with you there, Jacob. And Corey Coffrin has a picture of Cor, John Colicus's Cor from Errand of Mercy with the uh, word glorious exclamation point. So, yeah, it seems to be generally really, really well received. It does, with maybe one or two people that would echo what is going to be your sentiment, I feel, yeah. <laughs> going into this uh, this last part. So, yeah. So, yeah, thanks for our audience. Uh, it was nice hearing from you all and hearing what the episode meant to a lot of you uh, just generally. But, yeah, so um, all that remains is for us to give our conclusion. There's just the two of us, DK, so I'm going to let you pick. Do you want to go first or second? I'll get it out of the way, and then, go you on, know, then. it can probably end on a, a good one. <laughs> Uh, I've got to remember this was one of the first DS9 episodes I saw outside of the pilot. It wasn't really for me, and the gravitas angle never really came through. It always felt over-melodramatic. But I gave it another go, when at the place I worked at the same time, we got this one in. And with it having the three Klingons for the original series, I had to give it a go. I remember not really liking it. It felt very long-winded, and I was so disappointed that I avoided it for the longest time. I've seen it a few times since then, and it's grown on me immeasurably. It still has that gravitas problem that I associate with early DS9. It has a tendency to occasionally feel forced, and it is looking very dated these days, very 90s. However, I appreciate it so much more now. I do think it would have been better to have it as a two-parter, as it's got a large build-up to the point where the event itself is almost an afterthought and the coda almost non-existent. The pacing could have done with a little more work. This was a big thing, to me at least, and it didn't quite get the attention I feel it deserved. But personal preferences aside, it still kind of holds up in a way. The plot's a decent one, even if it feels a little off balance. Farrell's given a lot to do here, and she doesn't let the side down. And Colicos, Campbell, and Ansara are just as great now as they were back in the original series. If anything, my issues with the story length is probably because I wanted to see more of them. It's a big hit of nostalgia, especially now. Here we are years later, and none of these legends are with us any longer. It's a decent little story, certainly, but I would have liked to have seen more at the expense of one of the weaker episodes from around that time. And as a result, I've given it three and a half out of five. Okay, that's fair enough. I will wake myself up after that long conclusion. He said, hey, was, "Well, uh... <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm just matching the episode, dude." Oh, do you believe me? You've got, haven't heard my long ass conclusion yet. Um, <laughs> that's fine. Well, three point five, I wouldn't say is bad. I, I was expecting a little worse, if I'm perfectly honest, from you. But uh, yeah, 
Uh, I'll give you my conclusion. Then I said it was a fantastic idea for an episode that's over way too soon. I personally get the feeling they wasted an opportunity for a truly excellent two-parter here. I promise, audience, we haven't spoken beforehand. It's just obviously the overriding feeling because I agreed completely with GK there. Um, as a result, the pacing of this episode is way off with the necessary time given to set up and developing the four main characters, leading to a very rushed conclusion that comes off a little unsatisfying after the build-up. It also means a potentially strong villain is basically a non-entity, a boogeyman spoken of but not seen until he appears solely to die. The cardinal rulers sure don't tell, and while the acting really sells you on the horrific acts the albino committed, it's just words telling us what we should be shown. The fact that I want more of this story, though, speaks to its strengths which are many and noteworthy. Bringing back the recognisable Klingons is such a geeky treat that you're onto a winner anyway. The fact that all three are brilliant actors is a gift. I also really like the idea to make this a Deep Space Nine story by focusing it around Dax and not downplaying her lead role, which I think Farrell performs incredibly well. So yeah, the episode, not perfect then, but uh, rewatchable nerd catnip with the return of three greats and well-played characters that leaves me with the overall sense that I'm just so glad we got to see more of them and I wish I'd been old enough and mature enough to appreciate that when they were still here with us. Kapla. And I gave it four out of five. So yeah. perhaps shocked how low I was, conversely to what you were saying. So yeah, putting that together, dividing it by two since there's two of us, gives Blood Oath an overall score of 3.75 out of 5, which I think, yeah, fair enough. Can't really argue with that too much. So, what do you think, DK? <laughs> I think it's it's respectable. It unfortunately puts it towards the lower end because, uh, simply because we've got, you know, so many, we've had so many good episodes on this one. But I wouldn't say it's... Uh, it's an insult to it. I think it's he's done no. quite well. It's in the. I think it also. I mean, if if we had one or two other people here reviewing it, it probably would have bumped the score up a bit as well. Because I don't think either of us are giving our worst scores there. But the fact there's only two of us means, yeah, it doesn't have a lot of uh, a lot of chance to build up its score. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Right. Well, that's going to conclude this episode and this series and this year for Hit or Miss Star Trek. As I did mention earlier, though, uh, on New Year, uh, around the New Year anyway, uh, towards the, the end of the year, I'm going to be over on Silver Screen Podcast for the second year in a row doing a live summation of the year, which will include a section on Star Trek, where we'll be doing what we did at the start of this episode, hopefully a little quicker than we managed that, and doing a summation of everything you've had this year and, uh, you know, ups and downs, hits and misses, etc. We won't be back for the rest of this year. As you're listening to this, it's virtually the end of the year anyway. We're in uh, December. Uh, but we will be back sooner than we have been in the past because we're back in the second week of February for our next series where we're switching our focus from the Klingons to DK's favourite species, the Romulans. So... Yeah, I'm with uh, Freeman and Mariner here. Oh, it's Romulans. <laughs> Let's be shady. <laughs> So yeah, stay tuned for that. We have uh, various things planned. I'll I'll discuss when the time comes how we're formatting these things. But there's going to be hopefully a little more Trek uh, podcasts for you to enjoy, provided you still want them. If you're still watching them and viewing them, and we can always do with more, of course. So do you know share, like, subscribe, tell your friends. And if you'd like to be a guest, by all means, get in touch with us via any of the social media links below or just commenting on YouTube and things like that. So, yeah, you can find us by just using those links. The uh, podcast websites and, and social medias, as well as my personal ones, are all listed below. There's not really much listed for DK, but you can find his <laughs> letterbox link down there. 
So yeah, nice, nice letterboxed and a kind of MySpace ripoff. That's how up to date I am. <laughs> I don't even think I've got that on. I've just got letterboxed, and then I may as well just write carrier pigeon underneath it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but no, we we appreciate DK being on the show, of course. So yeah. Um, if you are unaware, we do a sister podcast, as I've mentioned, called Silver Screen. So even though we're not going to be doing any more Trek this year, you can flick over there and you'll be seeing us do episodes until the end of the year. And uh, hey, in the meantime, DK, do you want to give us a sign off? <laughs> we are Starfleet. Live long and prosper. Live long and prosper. You have been listening to the Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast, hosted by Michael Wilson and DK. Created, produced, and edited by Michael Wilson. Additional material produced by DK. Music by Timeless Journey. More information can be found at soundcloud.com forward slash timeless journey. The Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast is based on an idea by Michael Wilson and Will Templar. Follow the podcast on Instagram at Home Star Trek Podcast or look for the Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast under Facebook groups. Links to all our social media accounts and more are in this episode's description. This podcast is available on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Just look for Silver Screen, Hit or Miss Star Trek. This has been a Mike's Podcast production, copyright 2022. Thank you for listening.